Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It's good to be with you Again, please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Go to our website, if you would, uh, johnwarrenmedia.com for more information about our work. You can send along a comment using our contact form or send an email to me directly at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Well, as I mentioned last week, we are enjoying this phenomenon that kind of blows my mind. I, I, I don't really like to say that very often, but we, we've had uh, hundreds, many hundreds of listeners of uh, the episode about our daughter's wedding and um, my prayer back years ago when I was diagnosed with cancer and the promises of God about his uh, never leaving us, always being faithful. And that that episode, for whatever reason, is resonating as I'm recording this one. And this one won't be released for about uh, six weeks. So thank you for uh, supporting the podcast. My company, CFS Financial, is featured on the website. There's a tab under, I believe it's called Consulting. Uh, nonetheless, you can find it there. Uh, it's also available directly through you can go to cfsfinancial.net or you can access it through johnwarrenmedia.com and go to the tab. But your your communication, your correspondence, your uh, little uh, notes of encouragement are so much appreciated. I'm thankful that God has chosen to bless this work. Well, we're in our third lesson, third episode of a series on the attributes of God. We've talked about God's divine simplicity, meaning he's not composed of various parts. And we've talked about immutability, God being unchanging, completely unchanging. These concepts are difficult for me. Um, I would imagine they're difficult for everyone. They're nuanced, they're complex. We, You, you might, like me, have grown, grown up in a culture where they were caricatured a little bit. I just watched Shiny Happy People. I don't, I, I'm, I'm sure everybody on this earth has heard about it now. About the Duggar family and Bill Gothard. I'm amazed at, you know, I, I went, as I said in a previous episode, I, I went to uh, several of those, whatever you call those things he did. He called them Institutes in Basic Youth Conflicts, which I thought was a strange name. And he changed it later to something a little more appealing. But, you know, God uses our foolishness all the time, and I understand that. But that man made up some stuff, and, uh, and, and he, he, he's peculiar. I mean, I mean he, he, I'll, just, I'll just leave it at that for now to save time. But I would commend that video to you. Uh, it's a series of, I think, four episodes. And it's, I, I think it's on Amazon Prime, but it's... Um, you know, like a lot of, of, of those things, it exposes fundamentalist uh, uh, fundamentalism uh, in Christianity as 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 being a, a little a little whack, as the kids say, and, and it is. And uh, 
yeah, they might go too far a couple of times to caricature Christianity. And I don't like that. But and there there are some really well intended people involved in all of this legalism and asceticism and all the stuff that goes with it. But at the end of the day, what what I like about this series is it exposes the hypocrisy, the legalism, the um, uh, some of the some of the real serious inconsistencies. It doesn't really focus well enough, in my opinion, on biblical heresy, but it does mock some of Gothard's teaching, which I believe is heretical. I didn't just say that all of Bill Gothard's teaching is heretical, but a ton of it is. And if you're caught up in that movement, I'd love to talk to you about what Scripture actually teaches. There, There are lots of other people who'd love to talk to you, too. I don't have this market cornered um, on on biblical truth by any means. And my heart goes out to Bill Gothard. He's in his 80s and has been largely discredited. And and some of that is because he he stretched biblical truth. He he started with some truth. And and this is what false teachers do. They start with some truth and then stretch it and apply it and change. And he he was Mr. Nuance. He's probably a smart guy, I guess. I, I don't know. He's at least creative, clever, to get thousands of people to sit in huge, whatever you call them, arenas, or I don't, I don't know how he started. He probably started small, but by the time I heard about him in the late seventies or whenever that was, he, he was, uh, you know, packing out arenas around the country and, and he just sit and listen to him and he's got this overhead projector and he's, he's underlying stuff and uses this umbrella thing to represent authority and God's protection over us and how we step out of it. And, and there's some truth to that, but oh my goodness, he, he goes, he, he goes all extra biblical. If you've been blessed by that ministry, my apology gee, for shocking you here, but take a closer look at the principles he teaches. Well, today we're going to be talking about the love of God and This, I will be the first to acknowledge, uh, as I've done in the past two episodes, is is a little tricky. And this one is nuanced. So, so, you know, as I said a minute ago, we've talked about God being divinely simple, meaning uh, of one substance. He is all that he is. He's not this collection of component parts. He didn't pull pieces together that would have come from something else. All of his character comes from himself. Um, So... And 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 I you go go back a couple episodes if you missed it and, and listen to that one, and then last week we talked about immutability, God being unchanging, and what's interesting about this is we're kind of building as we go because all of God's attributes are immutable, are unchanging, and I'm going to say that a lot today with respect to the love of God. the The challenge that that we have now today, though is that um, everyone listening, every Christian, every non-Christian, uh, even uh, people who are agnostic who don't believe that, that truth is, is, is discoverable, that it can't be known, you know the expression, God is love. And, and that's, that, that's terrific. But the definition of love and uh, how much love and where did it come from 
and what does it actually look like, what are its characteristics, are frankly among the most misunderstood doctrines in all of Scripture. Now, this this isn't going to be a sermon today, and this is a, a complex topic, so if you'll if you'll bear with me for a few introductory remarks, I want to just introduce this properly. I, I, this topic goes to the very nature of God. What, what is God's nature? Well, there are three things that Scripture tells us about God na- God's nature. First is uh, found in John 4.24, God is spirit. It says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So the, the Greek here, contrary to what some translations say and, and contrary to what a lot of commentators say, and, and people just say this in, in conversation and pastors say it in sermons, the, the Greek does not include the article A before spirit. God is not a spirit, as some would say. He is spirit in the highest sense. He's ethereal, ha- having, having no substance. I mean, if you think about it, his omnipresence, which we all talk about, and, and, and we'll, we'll talk about it later in, 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 our, in our study of God's attributes, but we, we, everybody understands what God's omnipresence is. He's everywhere at once. He fills the heavens and the earth. And, and he's not limited to a tangible body. And so this, this necessitates, this attribute, among others, necessitates that God is spirit. Secondly, God is light. We, we see this one throughout Scripture, but just about all con- commentators agree that God is light. I'm looking for First John, there it is, First John 1, 5. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This light is the opposite of darkness as referenced in First John 1, 5. Darkness typically represents sin in scripture, doesn't it? or evil and death. Light represents holiness, goodness, and life. The fact that, that God is light really means he's the sum of all things excellent. But thirdly, when we look at the nature of God, God is love. We can uh, just flip over a few pages to First John 4, 8. And we see that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And then he goes on in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God is love. He doesn't simply love. He, he is love. Love isn't just one of his attributes, a thing he does. It is, it is his very nature. Now, our culture, and I, I'm going to, unfortunately, I'm going to say that a lot today. Our culture, when I say our culture, I mean 
both in and out of the church, both among professing Christians and, and, and others, mistakes the true love of God for something much weaker. This, this type of sort of an amiable weakness or, or good-natured indulgence or sentimentality patterned after human emotion. There's, there's nothing wrong with those things, but they just come up short when describing what the love of God really is. So this topic, and this is difficult, and I realize that it's hard for me, just like everything else, this topic requires our thoughts to be formed and regulated by what is revealed in Scripture. I know we say it all the time, but with the love of God, with the fact that God is love, I think we kind of struggle with, with what does Scripture actually say that means. The, the ignorance and, and, and really low regard for true spirituality, if I can call it spirituality, in our modern world is, is sadly evident everywhere among uh, professing Christians. There, there's little real love for God by us. And, and I think there's a reason for that. One, one reason is that our, our hearts are not occupied with his love for his people. We really don't think about that. We don't study scripture carefully to know what that means. His, his wondrous love for his people. To love him well, we have to be acquainted with his love, its character, its fullness, its blessedness, if I can call it that. So, so what is this character and blessedness of God's love? Well, listen to this quote. The love of God is uninfluenced. That is, there was nothing whatever in the objects of his love to call it into existence. There's nothing in the creature, that's us, to attract or prompt such love. I know some of you are gasping right now, but the love of God is uninfluenced. That is, there was nothing whatever in the objects of his love to call it into existence. There's nothing in the creature to attract or prompt such love. I believe that's an A.W. Pink quote from his book, The Attributes of God. The love we humans have for each other is different than God's love because it may be similar, but, it, but, but, it's, but it's different in a lot of ways because it usually results from something seen in the object of our love. But the love of God is free spontaneous, uncaused. God's love is found in his sovereign will. We see this in Deuteronomy 7, chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. God has loved his people from eternity past. There's nothing found in us that causes God to love us. He loves from himself. I'm going to flip over to 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9. 
It says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So, he blessed us in Christ Jesus, loved us in Christ before the ages began. We love him because he first loved us. We see that in 1 John 4:19. God did not love us because we loved him, but he loved us before we even had a a, a minute particle of love for him. God's love would not be real, would not be his real love, his spontaneous love, if he had loved us in return for our love, as some kind of reciprocation for our love, or quid pro quo. Sometimes we treat God like that. I must love him so he loves me more. No, he loved us before the foundation, an eternity passed before the foundations of the world. Remember in our study last year, and you're probably generally familiar with this anyway, Romans 1, 2, and 3, we, we really talk about how self-sufficient, we said God is the only truly self-sufficient, self-reliant, the, 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 the creator is the only, like, the creature is not those things, and yet we want to be those things so badly. We talked about Adam and Eve being evidence of this. There are many other uh, evidences of this, but in Romans 1 and 2, and, and the first half of chapter three, we talk about just how sinful we are. No one seeks after God, um, and, and it goes on and on and on. And we, we sin a couple of different ways. One is uh, we sin immorally, and then we sin morally. We, we think we can be good enough, but, but no one seeks after God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know all those verses. He, he kind of says it 14 ways at the, in the first half of, of chapter 3 of Romans. No one seeks after God. No one, you know, we're not these lovely creatures that love God uh, intuitively, innately on our own. He loved us when we were loveless. There are, there are another couple of, uh, there, there's another section in Romans, uh, several sections, but one I'm thinking of right now says, uh, something like, uh, scarcely for a righteous man one will die, but while we were still sinners, yet sinners, Christ died for us. But his love, and, and I, I know when I use words like spontaneous and uninfluenced, it's troubling. It's kind of jolting, I guess I should say. But his love is uninfluenced. It's not moved one way or the other by our behavior. So it's important for us to understand this truth clearly. If, if we're going to live lives that honor God, we've got to understand what, it, what his love is, where it comes from. God's love, what was and is, I should say, this is clumsy, clumsy way to say it, uncaused by anything in us. There was nothing in us to attract the heart of God. In fact, there was everything to repel him everything to make him loathe me, if you think about it, us, sinful, depraved, a, a mass of corruption with nothing good in us whatsoever. So the, the second point I want to make is, is that God's love is eternal. 
God is eternal and God is love. As God had no beginning, his, his love had none, no beginning. Now, this truth transcends our ability to comprehend, but we, we must believe it because it's biblical. We must, we must come under this truth anyway. Jeremiah 31.3, God loved us before heaven and earth were called into existence. And I said that very intentionally, called into existence. They were spoken into existence. I can't, into existence. I can't even understand that. How do you speak and something is great? He didn't, God didn't have raw materials in creation. He spoke things into existence. That, that kind of power. I, I just love this study of the attributes of God because that kind of power is just almost impossible to describe. It's impossible to fully grasp, I'll tell you that, for me anyway. And then he, he loved us from all eternity. Now this should evoke our praise. If you look at Ephesians uh, 1, 4 to 5, I'm jumping in in the middle of the sentence. Well, I'll go back to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You hear that? God's love blessed us, was, was a blessing to us in Christ, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us or predetermined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. So in, in eternity past, God loved us before heaven and earth were called into existence. So since God's love had no beginning, it can have no end. God is love from everlasting to everlasting. Another way to say it is eternity past to eternity future. He loves us from eternity past through all of eternity future. If God didn't love independently of our merit, he would love according to rule. And, and loving by rule would be under a law of love. And God wouldn't be free, but we would be ruled by law. A third point I want to make is God's love is infinite. I have a hard time thinking about infinity. God's love is in infinite. Everything about God is infinite. His omnipresence fills heaven and earth. We said that earlier. His omniscient wisdom is limitless. He knows everything of the past, present, and future, and everything about all the things in the past, present, and future. I, I can't grasp that. And we'll talk more about these characteristics, these attributes later. His omnipotent power is unbounded. There's nothing too hard for him. His love is without limit. Its depth cannot be fathomed, and its height cannot be scaled. Its length and breadth defy measurement. We see this in Ephesians 2, 4. 
I'll just quickly read that. And then I want to talk just for a minute about Romans 11, a passage that we have talked about a lot on this podcast. But God, this is Ephesians 2, 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So, so God's love is so transcendent that it can't even be estimated by man. God's love is without limit. I, I, I don't even get that. I mean, I can kind of taste it a little, but barely. Remember Romans eleven thirty three through thirty six. This is this is this God with limitless love that we're talking about that we've been talking about. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments, and how inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor, or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Paul understood this enough to at least write those words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God's love is so transcendent, so apart from us, so so out of this world, so big. His God's love is so transcendent that it cannot be estimated by man. How, you know, how, how much love does God have? It can't be... It's infinite. Can't do it. God's love passes knowledge. Language, our language, any language, does not allow us to fully express the infinite nature of God's love, nor can we fully comprehend it. It, it passes knowledge. Our, our most extensive thoughts, we, we see this in Ephesians 3.19, but our, our most if, extensive thoughts, being finite, that we can frame about love, are infinitely below its true nature. (laughs) Just think about that. The goodness of God is beyond our highest conceptions that we're able to form of of God's love. God's love is beyond the the highest conceptions. So so take, you know, I don't know, Elon Musk or, or... you know, a nuclear physicist, or I, I pick a part, it doesn't matter. Somebody really good with philosophy, somebody excellent with language, somebody good at all the things around this topic. The goodness of God is beyond the most raised conceptions, the highest conceptions that we're able to form of his love. Fourth, God's love is immutable. Or unchanging. I know we talked about his character, his essence being immutable, God being immutable last week, but God's love is immutable or unchanging. James 1.17 tells us that there is no variation or shadow of turning with God's love or anything else. His love doesn't change or diminish. It, you know, you hear about couples who say, well, we fell out of love. Now, I'm not sure they had real love to start with. If uh, you know, so that's a long discussion, and we'll we'll get to a definition of love in a moment. God's love doesn't change. I can think I've got some strong relationships on this earth that I'm very thankful for. My brothers and sister and I have very strong relationships, and I'm grateful for them. 
those don't compare. The love we have for each other doesn't compare. My wife and I have a very strong relationship and love each other very well. Our love is not diminishing over time. But that's nothing like God's love for us. His love doesn't change. He doesn't change. Because his character is immutable, his love is immutable. John 13, 1, he, he loved them to the end. The divine, this divine love is subject to no alternatives. Divine love, here, here you go, is as strong as death. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Now, we saw this in our study of Romans again. Pardon all the Romans references today, I guess, but they're beautiful. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Romans 8, 35 and following. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Listen to this list. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure... I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I know I read that about six episodes ago, but what a, what a beautiful promise. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Fifth, God's God's love is holy. It's set apart. God's love is not regulated by a whim or by passion or by sentiment or impulse, but by principle. Just as his grace doesn't reign at the expense of his love, but through righteousness, Romans 5.21, his love never conflicts with his holiness. God is light. And that's mentioned before in 1 John 1, before he says later in verse chapter 4 that God is love. God's love is not mere weakness or softness. His love is pure and not mixed with sentimentality. Final point on this is God's love is gracious. God's goodwill and grace determined him to give his son for sinners. That love was the power of Christ's incarnation. You know, a familiar passage that we sometimes are afraid to quote is John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Christ did not die to make God love us. He died because he loved us. The cross of Calvary is the supreme demonstration of God's love, divine love. We should go back to the gospel when we're tempted to doubt the love of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
This is, this is where our trust and patience are rooted when we're under affliction. Christ was loved, beloved by God, and yet he was not exempted from poverty, disgrace, and persecution. Think about that. It was not incompatible with God's love for Christ when God permitted men to torture him. So we shouldn't let anyone call into question God's love when we're brought under painful afflictions and trials. You hear this all the time, oh, God doesn't love you, or God doesn't love us, or God isn't real, God, God isn't a loving God. He, he, if, he's, if he's all-powerful, if he's omnipotent, he can't be omnibenevolent, that is all-loving. Unlike many modern preachers uh, who espouse their, you know, in, their, in their sermons, that Christ was obedient to God, but, but he was not enriched with temporal prosperity. A lot of preachers preach that, oh, if you're obedient to God, you'll be prosperous. Well, that's not how the story goes, is it? God blessed him with the Spirit, John 3.34. Spiritual blessings are the, are the principal gifts of divine love. But the world will hate us, but God loves us. What a blessing it is to know this, how settling it is mentally to our mental state to know this. These modern preachers who preach this, this, oh, if you're obedient, you, you, you won't experience, you you will experience temporal prosperity and you'll be enriched. Just take them to the story, to Jesus Christ, to, to the gospel story, the the narrative of the Gospels in the New Testament. So so let's talk about what we do with all this truth. So so to know God's love, to know about this, to to, to experience this and and have this in perspective is, is heaven on earth in a sense, isn't it? God is love. Look at Romans 5, 5 with me just for a second. It says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This isn't referencing love for God, but knowledge of God's love for us. Paul hadn't even met the Roman Christians he was writing to. He knew them reputationally, but he knew this statement would be as true of them as it was to him. Note the word abroad in this passage. This verb literally means poured or or dumped out. In the English Standard Version, it's it's translated poured into. In other, other translations, it's the word abroad. It means poured or dumped out. It's used in Acts to describe the outpouring of the Spirit. It suggests this idea of a free flow and large in quantity, kind of an inundation. It's deep and overwhelming love has been poured into our hearts. The tense of this verb is perfect, which implies this settled state consequent upon a completed action. 
the thought is that the knowledge of the love of God having flooded our hearts fills them now. Paul assumes his readers will be living in the enjoyment of a strong and abiding sense of God's love for us. Gives us tremendous comfort. Note that the instilling of this knowledge is described as part of the regular ministry of the Spirit to those who receive him, to all who are born again, true believers. We obsess with extraordinary sporadic ministries of the Spirit to the neglect of the ordinary general ones. This is a perversion, really, of biblical truth. It's, it's kind of pathetic and impoverishing. The Spirit's gift of peace, joy, hope, and love are extraordinary through the shedding abroad in our hearts of the knowledge of the love of God. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 28 to 30. Paul, Paul had to explain that other gifts without love were worthless. You're familiar with that passage. He says something similar in Ephesians 3, 14 to 16. But there's a word of caution here. God, God is love presupposes all the rest of the, of, of the biblical witness as to who God is. In other words, the God who loves is also just and punishes disobedience and so on. God made the world and yet judged it by the flood. God blessed Abraham and then chastened his people and on and on. Every single thing that happens expresses God's love to us and is intended to further God's purpose for us. We saw this back in Romans 8, 28. God's holy, omnipotent love at every moment and in every event of everyday life is indicative of God being love to us. Now, here's a definition. I think this is J.I. Packer's definition. God's love is an exercise of his goodness toward individual sinners, whereby, having identified himself with their welfare, he has given his son to be their savior and now brings them to know and enjoy him in a covenant relationship. That's from J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God. God's love is is an exercise of his goodness toward individual sinners, whereby having identified himself with, with their welfare, he has given his son to be their savior and now brings them to know and enjoy him in a covenant relation. God's goodness, his, his cosmic generosity, this, this, the, the perfection that in God that prompts him to deal bountifully and, and kindly with all his creatures. That's a, a, a Burkhoff quote. God's love is this. His goodness, his cosmic generosity, the perfection in God that prompts him to deal bountifully and kindly with all his creatures. God's love has the nature of grace and mercy. Because the objects of God's love are rational creatures who've broken God's law whose nature is corrupt 
and merit condemnation. That's who we are while we were yet sinners. God's love is contrary to what is deserved. It isn't just undeserved, but it's contrary to what is deserved. No reason, there's no reason that can be given for God's love for us except his sovereign good pleasure because he's God and he's love. I I hope these beautiful promises are a blessing to you. It, It has been a blessing to me to prepare for these episodes. I just really appreciate this study of the attributes of God, God's divine simplicity, his immutability, and his love are weighty from a foundational standpoint. There's, there's one more that, and you're going to cringe and you're going to say, oh, this next one is going to be unpleasant. But there's one more foundational attribute, and, and they're all foundational to some degree, but, but just in setting the stage so we can understand all the others, next week we're going to talk about the wrath of God, the, the judgment of God, God's wrath. His holiness, his, his, we're still going to talk about immutability and his being sinless, but but his wrath specifically next week. So I hope you'll look for us next week. Please like, uh, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. There's a lot of sharing on social media going on, and I am grateful. This, this kind of this organic growth is just so encouraging to see. So I hope you'll do that. Go to our website, John Warren Media. Dot com for more information, feel free to send along an email to John at johnwarrenmedia.com. I look forward to being with you again next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.